Welcome, everybody. I am Rachel Levy-Lesser. And I am Stephanie Goldstein, and this is Life's Accessories, a podcast about accessories, clothing, fashion, and the stories behind them. We are two friends who love to accessorize and who remember what we wore on pretty much every meaningful occasion, and that is what we love to talk about. You can follow us on Instagram at Life Accessories Podcast and also on Facebook. You can also email us at lifesaccessoriespodcast at gmail.com with comments, questions, or accessory suggestions. And if you like what you're listening to, we would love it for you to share this podcast with a friend and rate and review us wherever you get your podcast. Also, do not forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Today, we are thrilled to be talking to Cynthia Muchnick. We sure are. Cindy is an expert in the college admission process, which, Rach, we are in the thick of it, not as experts, but as what, participants with our children? Definitely not experts. We're (laughs) sort of innocent bystanders who just yes. did you do your application? Right. Exactly. Cindy was an assistant director of of admission for two universities. She has had the experience of screening and reviewing more than 3000 applications across her career. And she was more than qualified to open her own business as an educational consultant, which she did for 15 years. Very impressive. I think we're going to have a lot to talk to her about, don't you think? For sure. Uh, Absolutely. In her role there, she helped hundreds of high school students navigate their academic journeys, including course selection, study skills, time management, and drumroll college applications. Cindy now focuses her time on public speaking to student, parent, school, and business groups on a variety of educational-related topics. And over the course of her career, Cindy has written numerous books, which focus on college admissions and study skills. And interestingly, she also wrote four wedding related books. So we're going to have to get into that. And also her first children's book is in the works, and it's going to be fun to hear about that as well. Hi, Cindy, and welcome to Life's Accessories. We're so happy to have you here. I am so excited to chat with you, ladies. Thank you for joining us, Cindy. So we're going to get right to the the big question of the day. Tell us what accessory you would like to share with us. It was very difficult to decide, but this accessory, I didn't really realize how much it would lead to so many things in my life, but this accessory is my engagement ring from my husband now of almost 30 years. So I didn't know actually 32 years ago when he proposed that it would be such a meaningful symbol, but it led to so many things I never imagined, not just normal life things like your relationship and growing your family and all that, but to all sorts of interesting career things. More about that. Yeah. So my husband and I met in college. It was the end of my junior year and the end of his senior year. And our first kiss in college was in our Rodin sculpture garden, the artist who makes the thinker and all those, the gates of hell and those famous things. And we had kissed on Valentine's day of 90. I'm like, I'm really losing it. (laughs) 1990. So I was just 20 years old and we had kissed there and it was a romantic hotspot on our college campus and it happened to be Valentine's day too. So it was symbolic. And then fast forward to about a year and a half later, we were both living in Chicago My husband was a new young law student, and I had my first job out of college in Chicago, actually in college admissions, which we might talk about later. 
And I didn't know this, but at the time, my husband, who was a law student, was starting to plan a marriage proposal and trying to find a way to afford to buy me a ring. So he had some student loans that he had to pay off and we were living in an apartment and splitting rent. And we decided to plan this trip to Paris for his spring break of law school. And at the time they had really great student tickets on, I think it was American Express. It was like $129 or something like a really cheap rate to fly. I remember those days. But before that he wanted to get a ring. So unbeknownst to me, For two summers leading up to our proposal, he worked at these law firms and you get paid pretty well in these law firms and most kids bank the money or use it to pay back loans, but he was saving up for this ring and it was his final exams of his um, second year of law school uh, over winter break. And apparently he'd been going back and forth down to the diamond district in Chicago where we were living and he was meeting with an Israeli man who sold diamonds. And he didn't really know what to do, but this nice man took him under his wing and guided him on different things. He negotiated the price with the guy. And apparently during his final exams, he had a backpack full of cash that he had withdrawn from the bank to bring to the man to buy my ring. So he shows up, he gets the ring I guess he hid it for a month or two. We went on this spring break trip to Paris. And our first day, we went to the Rodin Sculpture Garden in Paris. While at the Rodin Sculpture Garden, we sat down on a park bench and we started to play a game of Scrabble. And Scrabble is our favorite family game. Um, In fact, when I started dating him, I had to learn how to play Scrabble. Not Scrabble that you play just for fun in the living room, but Scrabble that's competitive, like the Q words that take no U and the two letter words. And it's a very intense form of Scrabble. I didn't realize I love it. competitive Scrabble. It was very common for us to play Scrabble. We had a little travel board and we played on the airplane. We played, you know, this was before cell phones. We would play on train rides. We would play on, at the beach. So it was pretty common to have a quick game of Scrabble in the Rodan garden. And we sat on a park bench and halfway through the game, he put the word Mary down on the board and he opened up a triple word score, which was (laughs) way up in the left corner of the board. And a triple word score is setting your opponent up for a really good move. And he were very competitive. In fact, I should just say that I rarely beat him in a game of Scrabble. So he put down the word Mary I started to kind of get uncomfortable and say, wait, you opened up a triple. And he said, why don't you read the board? And he had been scattering the words, will you, me, Mary. And Mary was the last one he put down. And I asked him, did you cheat? And he said, I had to filch some of the tiles because I had to come up with enough of the right letters. And he got on his knee and he took the ring out of his pocket. And he said, it is the only time still since we met that I was speechless. I just I'm speechless. Broke. Okay. <laughs> so so we, um, we hugged and we kissed and we called my parents from a phone booth on the corner. And, um, for our listeners, a phone booth. Is, do we, yeah. Do we need to describe what that is to our listeners? A phone booth? Phone booth. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's a little tiny room with a telephone before cell phones. And, you know, and you pick up a phone and you dial number. Yeah. So we called my parents who he had already done the old fashioned thing, apparently, and asked permission like a few days before we went on this trip. So they kept the secret 
And we had this wonderful kind of pre-honeymoon in Paris for the week to float on a cloud. And I kept looking at my hand and pinching myself. And it was this great proposal story. So that was the start. And when I shared the story with family and friends later, when we got home from the trip, I started hearing other people's stories and they would say, oh, my boyfriend put my proposal in a fortune cookie and my boyfriend spelled it out in candles on the beach and whatever it might be. There were these little stories that people started sharing. Again, remind everyone, this is before gender reveals and proposals, before proposals. This is the very first like family folktale that you can have as your marriage proposal. And so this is a generation ago. So when I heard all these stories, I said to my then fiance, somebody should write a book of all these stories. They're so fun and warm and wonderful. And I think I said it too many times because he said, you should write a book. You're obsessed and you love the story. The book, the book, (laughs) the marriage proposal that he made led to a book called Will You Marry Me? The World's Most Romantic Proposals, which is a collection of proposals that came out in 1996 from A to Z. And it categorized the proposals by theme. A was athletic proposals, B was beach proposals, and it took you all the way up to zany proposals. And that book was really my friends, their friends, their friends, and their friends. It was like anyone I could find that had a neat proposal basically went in the book. And then it was around February for Valentine's Day and June for weddings. And strangely, unbeknownst to me, I became the United States leading engagement expert. And every single talk show, every single radio show, Playboy magazine, every (laughs) single magazine and newspaper was off the hook interviewing me and flying me to be on the Gail King show, the Donnie and Marie show, Mike and Maddie. Terry Bradshaw. There were all these shows, home shows, Lisa Gibbons, Sally Jesse Raphael, pretty much everybody except Oprah. Although I got a nice decline letter from Oprah, wanted to interview got me. got in with Gail. Yeah, that. I did get on Gail. Gail had a show, the Gail King show. She did have a show in Philadelphia, but it was hilarious. February and June, I became the engagement expert. And so much so that all these people around the world and country started sending me their proposals enough to write a second book called 101 Ways to Pop the Question. So that book came out the following year and I still rode the wave and people were sending me videos of proposals and someone had a television commercial they made to propose and I was bringing couples on the shows with me. It was a hoot. It was the funniest thing and very surreal. And my kids know nothing about it because They were born many years later and they think that's weird that I was on TV talking all about marriage proposals, but I had a blast. And so basically the books became a career and I just, I never saw myself as someone becoming a writer, but the kind of writing that I do is not, I'm not a novelist. I'm not a science fiction writer. I'm just a storyteller. So that's why the ring was really the catalyst that led to the proposal that led to the writing. So I'd love okay. to hear your proposal stories or any oh, proposal stories. <laughs> I've got a good one. By the way, breaking news, yeah. first engagement ring ever on Life Successor. Yeah, this Woo! is a big deal. This is a big deal. <laughs> okay. My now husband, he and I went to the same college and the legend has it that if you kissed your boyfriend, girlfriend under a particular gate, an archway on campus, 
you would marry them. Now we didn't date in college, but we'd return to campus. And every time we would go by, I would say, are we going to go and go to Bowen Gate? And he'd be like, what? He'd look at me cross-eyed about it. And this one particular evening, I forget why we were even in the area. We drove onto campus and we were going up the hill to where that particular gate is. And he parked the car right next to it. And I'm like, what are we doing? He's just hang on a second. Get out of the car in a minute. So I get out of the car and the trunk is open and staring back at me is the mascot costume for our university. He's in his work suit because at the time, that's what he that's what he wore to work. And he's got this costume that he's putting on. I'm like, what the heck is going on? And he took my hand, brought me over to, oh, and he had a rose. It's like The Bachelor. Took me to the gate, got on his knee and proposed. A in good one. Ma- it's book worthy. It, it would maybe it be was, campus. Campus It was proposal. hilarious. It was hilarious. <laughs> it was really it. adorable. But the funny thing about the ring is that we were going to go see family in Pennsylvania the next day. And he had sent the ring to Pennsylvania. And in the meantime, he presented me with the, with what was probably a $25 ring from Lord and Taylor throwing it back old school department stores. And it was this like gaudy cocktail ring <laughs> that I thought was the most gorgeous thing I had ever seen. And he's like, you mean I could have gotten out of this for 25 bucks? Yeah, pretty much. Do you still have that ring? Of course, I oh, of course I have the ring. Good. Of course I do. That's a special ring. Yeah, I love it. I love yep. it. Okay, Rachel, yep. your turn. You're up. I really like we're going in order of amazing stories. Cindy comes in first, not to be competitive <laughs> travel player. Stephanie second, it. probably third. They're all so, number one. Similar to yours, Cindy. My husband ended up buying it in the Diamond District in New York. And he later told me that he went down with a bag of cash. And he also said, when you go and you look at the diamonds, they're just these rocks and they look like flecks of nothing really. (laughs) So anyway, I had thought that he was, we were living in New York City. I was working in magazine publishing and one of the magazines that I worked on is People Magazine. This is relative to the story. I came back to my apartment in the city. I thought he was traveling for work and the doorman had let him in, which was funny because we were buddies with our doorman. And there was a fake People magazine cover on my door that had a picture of our heads in probably like Jennifer Addison, Brad Pitt, one of those couples. <laughs> the headline was like couple of the year and it, it was it like a fake cover. And I was like, what? And then he got down on one knee and he proposed. And then that's was, good. So All of it's good. Yeah. I love it. I so love that, it. Wait, I, think- I want to get back into your writing career because okay. it's funny you said that you had this idea and you turned it into a book because I probably shouldn't say this, but people always say to me, what are you going to write next? And like you, Cindy, I am just a storyteller, but we shouldn't say just, we should just say I'm a storyteller. Okay. You right. had this idea of talking about telling stories about how people met and I would call it meet cute. Like meet cute stories and not even romantic, even friends or yeah. like right. I met for right. this podcast, things like that. So I did not know about your prolific career as an engagement expert. Yeah. You mentioned that when you were living in Chicago, you worked in college admissions. How did yes. you make your way into first becoming yep. educational <laughs> and then writing about that? Because Stephanie, Thanks. we're like in the thick of it right now. with our That's kids. right. So it's, that's a great question. It's funny. I typically find myself writing about the life stage that I'm in or something relating to the profession that I'm in. My 10th book just came out, which is the one you know about the parent compass. And we'll talk about that Mm -hmm. in a minute. But what happened was my, in college, I also worked as a tour guide. 
I would walk backwards and I would give tours and we're walking, we're walking. I and that, and that sort of connected me to the admissions office and learning about the role that tour guides can play in guiding new families that might be interested in the school. And so at the time I was very um, bold and I wrote a letter to the Dean of Admissions of my university telling him I thought the tour guide program needed a lot of improvements and I was graduating. And so I wrote him this three page single space letter. It wasn't even the Dean of Admission that admitted me. So I ended up um, getting a phone call from his assistant saying he wants to talk to me. And I thought he was gonna be like offended. And instead he sat me down and asked me what I thought I wanted to do after college. and he said, had I ever considered college admissions? And I said, these are my famous last words. I said, I'm such a people person. I can't really see myself sitting in a room reading applications all day. And he said, that's just a very small part of the career. That's like a three month period of it. But there's this other nine months where you're doing a lot with people. So he offered to put together a program, a one-week program for graduating seniors, if I could find enough seniors to join, to introduce us to the profession. And so I hit Beat the Bushes and found 10 or 11 other people, and they put together a one-week kind of training, and it got me really energized about pursuing a career in, in admissions. So I started applying to jobs in Chicago. First, I worked at the Illinois Institute of Technology, where I had to learn about chemical and civil and environmental and electrical engineering, all topics I knew nothing about as a humanities major. And then I moved over to the University of Chicago, which was a bit more mainstream in the sense that it was a liberal arts university and similar kind of to my own college experience. I would still be there today. Honestly, it was my most favorite job on the planet if my husband hadn't graduated law school and then moved us lots of different places after that. So Fast forward to having kids, writing the proposal books, but what actually happened, which brought me into what your original question was, is someone had said to me, oh, didn't you used to work in admissions? Would you read my daughter's essay? I'd love your feedback. Mm. She's applying to colleges. And, and I said, sure, I'll take a look at it. Suddenly, word of mouth created a college counseling business for me that I was able to do out of my home for close to 15 years while I was raising kids, working one-on-one -on -one with high school students helping them navigate high school, but also even helping some of them navigate middle school. And what I realized in that journey was that all the kids that weren't like me, that weren't really naturally motivated and really wired to be more academic were actually the kids that could help so much more. And so the first book that I ended up co-authoring was I saw a gentleman writing a book on graduate school essays and I asked her who he was. I actually submitted my husband's law school essay to his book and he put it in his book. And then I approached him and asked him if he wanted to write a book together for undergraduates. So we co-authored a book in 1997 called Best College Admission Essays. That went into multiple covers, multiple printings. It did really well. And then I was approached to write some wedding books. And at that point I had a couple toddlers and I was like, was about to reject the books when my then husband said, are you crazy? You're being offered wedding books to write, like you can write these. So I wrote two wedding books and then I went back to really what was my passion, which I realized I was really passionate about study skills and teaching kids how to be better students, how to be more successful. And I felt like the kids that were in the middle and bottom of the class didn't really know what the kids at the top of the class were doing that was more instinctual. And I think it's really teachable to motivate kids and teach them you need to sit up front in class and you need to build a relationship with your teacher and you need to ask for extra credit and you need to 
find things that you love to do and pursue them. And that became a study skills book that I wrote called the everything guide to study skills. And then my son at the time was in seventh grade, my oldest, he was pretty precocious. And he said to me, when we were celebrating the book launch, he said, mom, I don't agree with everything you wrote in this book. I'm just looking through it right now. And I think you missed some things and I don't think this is true. And I jokingly said, maybe you'll write the next book with me and you can help me write it. And he said, maybe I will. And a year later, together, we wrote Straight A Study Skills. So he was my co-author as an eighth grader. Oh, I love that. And we wrote a book together on how to help kids navigate school. And then crazily, he went off and wrote two more books of his own and is now doing his PhD and has published so many scholarly articles. I can't even begin. He's a way better writer and a way better thinker than I am. So the Study Skills books came out. And then after writing... There was a book on getting ready for college that I also did. And then after all this time of doing college counseling, I realized there was so much more I didn't say in that first college essay book. So I wrote a subsequent college essay book. And then I decided I'm exhausted and I'm done. I closed my business. I was ready to be done writing until 2019, the college admission scandal broke. And Mm -hmm. that was when I picked up the phone and called my co-author, Jen Curtis. And I said, this is insanity. What is playing out in the news headlines, Operation Varsity Blues, parents are behaving so badly. We need to do something about this. And I said to her, I've really wanted to write a book to teach parents how to behave better, but I need to write it with someone who has a psychology background because I really need, I don't have that expertise. I'm a college counselor, but I don't have that counseling piece. And she said, I was a social worker for many years. And so together we decided to create a book proposal. And in 2020, in the fall, in the middle of the beginning of COVID, the parent compass came out, which is how I met Rachel. So that sort of was where the career went in the book. It went with each stage. And the big news is it was supposed to come out this year, but in 2025, the shortest book I've ever written, my first children's book is coming out. It's an alphabet book. And it literally is A is for this, B is for this. Someday I'll have a book for my grandchildren to read. So I, I love grand- that. I love <laughs> that. In your current work, so you speak a lot now on education-related yes. topics. And so you know, what are your audiences most curious about? The Parent Compass, which is really the passion and the movement and what I really feel I will continue to carry forward and every parent I talk to of Mm-hmm. kindergartners through graduate students. Really, it, there's two messages in the book and we hammer them in so many times that if you don't get the message by the end, maybe you didn't really read the book. And one is that we as parents have a huge opportunity and a duty to pay attention to our kids' mental health. We are living in a world of mental health crisis and we can do so many action steps to make sure that our mental, the mental health of our teens do the best that we can to help it stay intact. doesn't mean it always does, but there's a lot of things that we can do to help support that and to really look for signs and to really allow our kids their own voice, their own choices, their own experiences to self-advocate and just know that we see them and we love them and we appreciate them however they are, at whatever level they are academically, at whatever interests them because we had our turn to be teenagers. We had our turn to be college students and now it's their turn. So number one Mm -hmm. is the mental health piece. Number two is something we learned actually from a different podcast we were on. It's a quote that we now use a lot. It's not our quote, but it is when our kids leave home, the only thing left remaining is your relationship with them. Mm. Not the trophies, not the grades, not all the things. And that relationship 
our goal in the parent compass is to keep that relationship intact. So when they do leave, it's still there in a healthy way. That's it. Those are the two goals of the book. And I will say we wrote it so that it can be read in one weekend and you can begin to implement some of these ideas. We looked at all the data. We interviewed all the experts. We interviewed deans of admission, heads of school, parents. We interviewed teens. And then we compiled this user guide on really what we call a parent etiquette book, like how parents need to behave. And the hardest part about the book is it really takes bravery to follow because a lot of what it is counterintuitive, which is we can give and give and do and fix and manage and help our kids so much because we love them so much, so fiercely. But by doing all of those things, we are robbing them of their own ability to do things for themselves and to feel what it feels like to hurt and to fail and to make mistakes and to recover from those. So we're creating this generation of what they call teacups, these very fragile kids that go off to college that still rely on mom and dad to call and wake them up. We talk about the book, all the mistakes we've each made as parents. Jen and I do not pretend to be experts perfectly in our own worlds. I have learned so much about being a better listener. This book really was like a total labor of love for Jen and for me. And we both just feel so strongly about how important the message is. Now we're on our three-year mark. The book's been out for almost three years and I'm going to Seattle in February. I'm going to Chicago in March. I'm speaking to schools, speaking to organizations. So happy to be guest on podcasts to talk about it. And I just feel it's something that's really helping in, in some small way. It is. I read the book and I loved it. And I think about it. I love what you said, what you learned on another podcast about the only thing that will be gone will be the relationship. Mm -hmm. My son's a sophomore in college and I can attest to that. And I love our relationship still. And I think about all those years, I don't want to say they were wasted, but the worry and the stress and Stephanie and I did a podcast episode last spring. It was sort of tongue in cheek, but it was when we were in the midst of touring colleges. (laughs) Yeah. And of course, we had to talk about accessories. So we talk about accessories for college visits. It was the cross body bag and the sneakers and the notepad. But I think exactly. what I got out of that, if I could speak for the both of us, since we share a brain, is that yeah. part of the fun part of touring colleges, even though it can be stressful, is the fun and the bonds and the laughs that you do mother-son, mother-daughter, or what have you. Yes. Yes. So we'll probably, hopefully, have a lot of parents listening to this. I don't know if we're going to have kids, but- If maybe some of the parents want some advice for their kids, what kind of advice would you give right now in the fall to high school seniors? Yeah. So for the parents to give the kids or maybe the parents' behavior that then impacts the kids would be to really let the kids lead the charge. It is their journey. And while they might seem in quotes, lazy or not interested, or maybe missing deadlines or whatever it might be, there is a college counselor at school that's making sure things are getting done. They feel the pressure. They know the deadlines. They know that it will get done. And the more we ask about it and poke at it, the more we get the porcupine replies. It's letting them know, look, I am available to help in any way I can. I always say I have nothing against parents completing the biographical information on college applications. It do- anyone can do that. It does not. Your kid is so busy. You can fill out all the biographical information. It's not illegal to do that, but you cannot be writing essays and doing the work and applying to colleges for them because these are personal statements that are their experience. And I'll never forget a student 
I worked with once that brought me the essay saying, my mom just wrote this for me. What do you think? <laughs> I, I think said, you better go home and write I a new said, essay. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I won't be reading it. Like, I don't know how your mom could climb into your own skin and, and be your voice. That's just, it doesn't make any, had she not told it to me, I probably still would have known. And the colleges do know and chat GPT and all those things make it worse. So what you can tell your kid is write in their authentic voice write something that only they could write about a family tradition, about a conversation, about a moment in their life that hasn't happened to anyone else. That's their moment. And they're just giving the reader a glimpse of who they are. And you can help them brainstorm that. You can help them go through old family albums or old family movies or whatever it is to try to come up with ideas of ways that they can share their moment or share their story. So parents, what you can do is tell your kids, I'm here. I don't have to read your essay. I shouldn't even have to edit your essay. I trust that you can do it. But if you need anything, just let me know. I'm here. And the second thing is seeing them for exactly who they are. Don't be unrealistic and applying to schools on these crazy, I hate to even say US News and World Report, but these crazy lists that parents think are some magical list for happiness. They are not. And I just finished visiting 10 different college campuses with my daughter, some I'd never heard of some I'd never set foot on. And she found places that just lit her up. And that is what the journey is. It's their turn. It's their journey. They are not our trophies. They are human beings that are doing their best in a really complicated world. And if they just feel supported and seen, it is the greatest thing that we can give them. So even if what they're interested in and doing doesn't interest us in any way, our job is to engage with that. And and be excited for them and be interested in that. It's fun to see when you're with your child and they walk onto a campus, how their body language is, right? Like it totally changes based on how they're feeling. Do they like it there? And you just can, if you know your kid, which most of us know our children, the body language is so incredible. Yeah. My daughter um, and husband and I went together and she Mm -hmm. sent me on a different tour group every single time. So I toured alone and she toured with my husband. And actually it was the best idea she ever had because I could ask whatever questions and not embarrass her. A lot of times some colleges are smart enough to split up the students from the parents, which I think is brilliant. But if there's more than one guide, I would say what I learned was that was a great thing because then we compared notes after I got different information on Mm -hmm. even some of the same questions that they were asking. I knew the questions she wanted to ask so I could be the mouthpiece on one tour She and my husband could do it on the other. As the guide is walking to their next stop, you can go up to them and ask them a private thing without boring the whole group. It was fascinating and illuminating. And I learned so much. It was very informative for me. It made me obviously want to go back to every one of those campuses and do it all over again. But what a fun way to think about it. Yeah. (laughs) I love the college tours. I told Stephanie that this is my youngest, who's a senior now. I'm available to go with other children on their tours. <laughs> for that, that could be a business right there, right? I love it. I found it <laughs> so much fun. And with our son, he was looking during COVID, so we didn't get to go to so many schools. Yep. I feel like we could talk to you forever, Cindy. I know. <laughs> but where can our listeners find you and learn about all of your amazing work? You know what? So I have a long name. It's Cynthia Muchnick. So C Y N T H I A. M-U-C-H-N-I-C-K, 
Com, just how it sounds, but CynthiaMuchnick.com is where everything is housed, including where this podcast will be forever housed under the podcast tab once it airs and lots of other information. And then I have a Instagram called at parent compass. Um, it now is expanded a little bit to cover other books that I talk about and things, but if you go to at parent compass or the parent compass in Facebook, or even LinkedIn. So there's lots of ways to find me or just Google the title of the Parent Compass and it'll probably get you to the website. But what I was going to say about talking over and over again is it was very hard to pick an accessory. So when when you start inviting guests back again in several years, I'll come up with a different one. There you go. There you go. We well, can we, have another conversation. We can have another conversation. I'm so grateful for you, both of you ladies, and for having me on. And um, I think this is, I love this show. I love the, the message behind it and people looking back on something that's sentimental and meaningful. And, and I love how it began with your book, Rachel, and that just what a gem that was for me to get to know you and what important accessories connected you to your mom and memories in your life. I think it's just a wonderful message and a way for us to all look inward and say, what are the sentimental things that are important to us? And less about the things and more about the memories. I felt a little shallow talking about an engagement ring. Oh, no, not at all. And it not really wasn't all. the ring. It was everything behind. And it. that's the point. And that was the story that really opened up so many dimensions to your life, right? Well, no, so no, we appreciate best money it. he ever spent. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But thank you so much for being with us today, Cindy. It was just a pleasure to get to know you better. And we thank our listeners for tuning in. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Life Accessories. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate us and get in touch. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks.